So this morning we're going to be going line upon line through the book of Ephesians. So if you have any questions, you can go ahead and just let me know and I'll try to get to a stopping point where we can address these questions. But by no means do I have all the answers, but I love the book of Ephesians. And so before we start, let's go ahead and open up our hearts for understanding. Lord, we know that you're good to us. And Lord, as we open this book, we pray that our eyes of understanding would be opened and that you would help us understand your word. Lord, you said that we have an anointing from the Holy One who leads us into all truth and helps us to understand that you want us to understand that this was written so that we would understand and know the excellency of who you are. Lord, we pray that that your Holy Spirit would help us as we read this word. And we know this is for us and it's for our good. Amen. Amen. So, Ephesus was a city in Asia Minor. A little bit of background. That's modern day, anyone? Turkey, Turkey, that's right. Turkey. Modern day Turkey, the city of Ephesus still remains. It's an ancient city. It was a very uh, large city in the ancient world. And it was a somewhat of a Christian capital uh, in the ancient world. Very classic events happened in the city of Ephesus. For instance, there was a riot because Paul was a preacher and took a stand against idolatry and preached the gospel. And there was such conversions and transformations of community that the silversmiths, remember this story in the Acts narrative in the history of the early church? The silversmiths get mad and there's a riot and then the, the, the Roman guards have to come in to secure Paul and He's addressing Roman leaders, and it's just a, um, a, a missionary mob. And so it's an incredible event. Uh, furthermore, there were Christians who were filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesus, that classic story in, in the Acts narrative. Did you know that uh, Jesus' mother's Mar- Mary was buried in the city of Ephesus? Did you know that John the Beloved, you know who wrote the Gospel of John? Did you know that he was a bishop in the city of Ephesus? And so it's a, it's a wonderful uh, city. I believe Ephesus means darling. I could be mistaken, but I do believe it means darling, which is another uh, wonderful typo- typology or, or shadow to uh, Christian understanding, if you understand that Jesus is the, the darling of heaven. And so let's look at this specific epistle. Now, remember, before there was Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and whatever is going to come tomorrow, God orchestrated pen, stylus, and paper. You know, that I've seen so many articles about the sufficiency of just pen and paper. Because I know back like 30 years ago, people were putting things on floppy disks. It's hard to find a floppy disk player right now. There's a lot of material in libraries and in, and in uh, big congressional libraries for, for the government. Things are on floppy disks and they're having to convert them over. You know, and, but then after that, there was the CDs. And then now, how many, you know, you're hard-pressed to find a CD player in, in your car. And, you know, it's, that's rare. And who knows what's going to come after CDs. I don't even know what USB. I guess we still, so right now we're in the, the USB thing. But now we're moving away from USB and we're putting it all in the cloud. You know, whatever that is. You know, uh, you know 
Moses was the first to download from the cloud to his tablets. Some of you will get that. But, but that being said, all of it, if you understand the simplicity and the durability of just the written word. You know, the, the recent, really incredible recent archaeological discoveries. You've seen this in the news? Anyone? Anyone seen? Uh, they found more s scrolls. Yeah. Not a scroll, so it's a kind of a mis misnomer. It wasn't actually scrolls, but they found tiny fragments of ancient Jewish scripture, which is pretty cool. How they found them is they were li literally rappelling down the side of a cliff. And there were these cliffs that they used to hide from the Romans in. And they went into these cliffs and they found ancient scraps of uh, uh, papyrus again. And so it's pretty pretty amazing what they found. Not a lot. It's not on anywhere the same amount of material that they found in Qumran, but it's still a find. And it's still a testimony that the, of the ancientness of the scriptures. But that being said, the, the medium of the written word, God chose the written word as a way to express truth to us. And so the New Testament is composed, you know, we have you evangelians we have gospels uh we have the history of the church which is the book of acts but we also have what we call epistles or simply letters so within those letters within those epistles there's different categories classically there's the pauline epistles which means the authorship of paul the prison epistles the pastoral epistles, were, which I, I deal a, a lot in because of their pastoral wisdom of being uh, providing eldership to the church. So there's a lot of, of different categories. Authors also, there's something called apocalyptic literature, which would be the book of Revelation or the apocalypse or the unveiling. And so there's different categories of these sections of the New Testament, but we're going to be looking at the epistles, and of all the epistles, we're going to be looking at what some consider like the general treaties. The general treaties, as in this epistle, the epistle of Ephesians, was considered a cyclical epistle. It was intended to go from church to church. It was intended to the entire ancient church of the New Testament. Now, that's different. The, the, the epistle of Corinthians was written to the Corinthian church, and it dealt with specific, particular issues, doctrinal issues that they were going through, carnal issues. Some of the remember they were having some great carnality in the Corinthian church. They were having misuses of spiritual gifts, misunderstandings of love. They had misunderstandings of church discipline. There was a great. So Paul's addressing particular problems. But when we read the Ephesians epistle, that's not there. It is a general overview, a treatise, something that all Christ, Christians need to know and they need to understand. And so let, let, I just wanted to give a little brief background before we actually got into the text. But let's go ahead and get into the text. And I'm going to be reading out of the, the New, King, New King James Version because the these and thou's of the King James might hold us back, but sometimes it's fun to read the old King James. Anybody ever read the old new King, old King James? No? Some of you are like, no. 
can hear him. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Once again, you need to know what an apostle is. Apostle is a sent one. It is the Greek word apostolos. It just means the sent one. Now sent to do what? Sent to be a preacher, messenger of the gospel. This is what, if you're going to say the word apostle, you need to understand the primary function of the apostle is preaching the word of God. That's their objective is to preach so that people would be converted, so that the churches would be established, so that elders could be appointed, so that the apostles could go to the next city and preach. And so Paul, that was his mission. He went from city to city to city to city, which is the apostolic pattern. That's the heart of the apostle. Paul says, woe to me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says that he was appointed to preach. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, I, I heard William Barclay say that if you had to sum up Paul's, Paul's life, he called him the Apostle of Grace. And I think this is an accurate description of Paul here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed, so Paul starts into the redemption in Christ. He starts into a great Great blessing of in prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Stop. So important. Every spiritual blessing is found in Jesus Christ. There's never going to be another book that you need. There's never going to be another testament. There's never going to be another revelation or subsequent thing that's going to supplement or overthrow the blessing that is established in Christ Jesus. He is all sufficient Savior. He's all that you need. Every spiritual blessing is in Him. And so that you have to understand that the sufficiency of Christ alone, that every spiritual blessing that you need, you don't need another revelation. You don't need another testament. You don't need another book. Christ was the sufficient for every spiritual blessing. Just as he chose us in him. Now, notice you begin to see a, start, see a similar concept within Pauline thought. In Christ, in him. That phrase is used over 170 times in the New Testament. In Christ. I highly recommend a work by E. Stanley Jones called In Christ. It's a wonderful work. I really recommend it. It really helps you understand the purpose of the Gospels is that you would be in Christ and that Christ would be in you. And the more you begin to understand that, the, the more that you begin to, be, to minister it from an effective place. You must realize that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and that Christ is in you. Paul tells us in Colossians, I'm going to hop over to another epistle, that your life is hid with Christ and God. And understanding that Christ is in you and you are in Christ it is the basis of all transformation. It's the basis of all Christian fruit and maturity. So many people struggle uh, to try to try to do the right behavior. It's because they're not understanding the, the riches of Christ Jesus. They're not understanding that they're seated with him in high places. They're not understanding that they're in Christ. 
And so I'm trying this morning, as Paul is, to open the eyes of your understanding, that you would understand that every spiritual blessing is in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, a lot of people focus on the, la- the first half of that verse and they get all kind of frustrated with the concept of uh, a predestination. And so I'm going to try to simplify it in a way that I've always understood it. And that is the destiny of, uh, of you. Your destiny is to be in Christ. That was his plan from the very beginning is that his body, his body would be in himself. That, you, that the, the body of Christ would be in him. That that's the destiny of all believers to be in Jesus. Your destiny is to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and act like Jesus, that he would bring many sons unto glory. That's the destiny. And so a lot of people get hanged up on what we call individual versus collective destiny. Corporate predestination versus individual predestination. These are big theological words. But the concept is, did God individually select or was he talking about a corporate body? And so uh, I don't have a lot of time to focus on that. But I, 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 I lean towards corporate, but like in everything, search the scriptures and study them for yourselves. I'm, I, I don't take the camp of telling you what you have to believe on the non-essentials. This would be, remember we, at the very beginning of the class, we started talking about what? Open-handed and closed-handed. This would be a open-handed thing. But to me, it's more beautiful of thinking of Christ's body destined to be in him from the very, very beginning, that he had a plan and a dream for it. So let's continue. But don't focus. I see so many guys focus on the first half of that verse and they totally neglect the back half. The whole point of being predestined in him is what? To be holy in love. And I see there's so many people who are focusing on a particular interpretation of that verse. Don't focus on the last half, that we can be holy in love. And I find that very interesting, which means to me that they probably have a misinterpretation of the first half because their interpretation of the first half doesn't lead them to be holy in love. So that's why I want to put everything. That's why write this in your notes. Context is king. Context is king. We don't just need to snip tiny passages out of the word of God and build whole castles around them. But we need to allow the epistles to speak for themselves in their entirety. The greatest commentary to the Bible itself is the Bible itself. That's, that's it, folks. Allow the Bible to interpret itself. Remember, this is not necessarily a book, but rather a library. A library. So allow it to, to, to interpret itself in its proper context. That will help us. But let's be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to him himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Amen. That God wants to adopt us. And that is his will and his good pleasure that we would be sons. Remember how much we've talked about sonship. The importance of our identity in Christ. Knowing who we are in Christ. Remember the Holy Spirit wants us to understand one thing. What is it? Abba, Father. Three separate times the Spirit bears witness to our spirit. Abba, Father. He wants you to know that you are a son by faith in him. Continuing. To the praise of his glory, of his grace, by which he made us acceptable in the beloved. Now, this is so important. Before you can get too high minded, 
who made you acceptable in the beloved? He did. He made us acceptable in the beloved. I see. I could see oceans of identity issues wiped away with this concept that Jesus has made us acceptable to him in the beloved. That what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had, he has invited us into that and he accepts us into him. That's a mountain, a mountain of truth right there. That we are acceptable in him and in him. Where? In him. Now people get on to me because they, they think that I just teach fri trivial security. That, you know, he loves me, he loves me not. <laughs> in and out. I don't teach like that. I believe in him there's absolute security. I believe in him there's absolute confidence, absolute security that I'm accepted in him. But and it's in him we have. What does verse 7 say? In him we have redemption through the blood. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That is a synopsis of the entire gospel of Jesus Christ right there. That in Christ, in him, we have redemption. That he has bought us back. That he has redeemed us. That means he has reattributed value to us. That means that he says you are valuable. That there is value to your life. There's value to who you are. And that he has done this. He has shown your value by his blood for the forgiveness of sins. That is the same word for remission of sins. Remember Jesus? Very, very, like literally, this was what's crazy. Because the, the Passover calendar and the liturgical calendar actually line up this year. This will never happen again in your lifetime. It's a very, very rare event. Uh, ecclesiology, ecclesiology, big word, church speaking. What I'm saying is remember the Jewish calendar and, the, and, and our calendar are off by about 360 to 365 days. So every random once in a while, the Jewish calendar and the church calendar actually line up to where Passover and, and Good Friday you see what I'm saying? It actually lines up. This is actually this week. So it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a unique fact this week. So, so literally, so we could actually say, so today is Thursday. We could literally say, two, how many, 2,000 and, you know, whatever, minus 33, whatever exactly it would be. But it would actually be this Thursday. Crazy, right? That, that, that was the day in which Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That was a day where he lifted up the cup. Crazy, right? It's actually particular this day. So he lifts up the cup today, many, many years ago, and said there's forgiveness, the new covenant. That's this word. That's this word. When it says the forgiveness of sins, this is the new cup of the new covenant, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. That in my name, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in all nations. You know, this is that concept. This is the gospel right here. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us with all wisdom and prudence, having made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might to gather together in one 
all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and are which on earth in him. This is just speaking of bringing all things in him, whether they, they be in or out, Gentile or Jew, all things will be brought together in him. You have to remember that, that, that they were so culturally divided in that time. There was literally, we'll get into this, the wall of separation was separated Jews and Gentiles, that there was such a dichotomy between the people groups, which we don't really understand. Verse 11, in him also we have an obtained an inheritance. Did you ever think about that? You have an inheritance. Now, you, if somebody gave you an inheritance today, you'd probably be pretty excited, wouldn't you? So Christ has given you an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Very important verse, verse 11. He works all things according to the counsel. It does not mean he causes all things, but he can turn anything for good. All the evil that has happened does not flow from this heart, but he can fix it. He's strong enough to stop it. He's strong enough to redeem it. He's strong enough to change it. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, that he who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That literally means that there was a mark. There's a seal of the Holy Spirit, an evidence, like a signature, like a wax signet. As in if your heart was the melted wax and the Holy Spirit literally put its impression on you. They would do this to documents signifying whose, whose, whose document is this. This bears the seal or signet of a king. You ever heard the phrase, phrase signet? A king would usually wear a particular ring and he would take the wax and he would put his, his ring in the hot wax and you would be able to see the marks and evidences of the king's authority on the wax. And this is the imagery that when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, there should be the evidences of ownership, the evidences of authority that you should bear that mark. You should bear that mark. And so that and it, it speaks of ownership. You are redeemed. Not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood that you were bought. Don't become slaves for men. That you, you have been bought by Jesus. So there is an ownership, but there's also an authority. And, it, and it's of the Holy Spirit of promise. Who was the guarantor of our inheritance. He was so the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance. How do you know you have an inheritance? Because you have, you have the Holy Spirit. You, you have the Holy Spirit. And that's the evidence that God's going to fulfill His promise. It almost describes as if it's like the down payment. It's like the earnest, the Bible says. Like the earnest, like as in the first of many. The first of many. Who is the guarantor of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you so important. He's praying that God the Father 
may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That wisdom and revelation comes in the knowledge of Jesus. So many times I'm like, I need to understand. And so I just try to say, okay, what would Jesus say about this? What would Jesus think about this? How did Jesus express this? And that's a sufficient well of revelation and, and knowledge. In fact, the Holy Spirit constantly brings back to my heart and my mind the things that Jesus said, which is why Jesus sent Holy Spirit to begin with. He shall testify of me. He shall bring back all things into your remembrance, the words that which I have spoken. And that, that is a really evidence. You, you want to know, okay, so you want to discern as a, as a young Christian, how do you discern the, the voice of the Holy Spirit? Is it sound like the voice of Jesus? And so, so many times I send young Christians, I don't send them to Romans. I send them to the Gospels so that they can hear the words of Jesus so that they have an understanding. And so that they'll be able to discern what the, the wisdom and revelation from heaven is about because it sounds like Jesus. Now, you need to know what Jesus says, because if I said, if they do this to the green tree, what shall they do to the dry? Some of you are like, what? That's your master speaking. That's Jesus on his way to the cross. So we need to know the words of Jesus. And we need to bury them in our heart and allow the Holy Spirit to bring them to our remembrance and back to our minds because that is spiritual revelation. That is spiritual wisdom, according to Paul. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know that is what is the hope of your calling. That what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Which he worked in Christ when he raised from him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So the same power that rose Christ from the dead is now working in you. That is it mountain right there take that that the same power that rose christ from the dead is now quickening your mortal body <coughs> far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named only in the age but also in the age of come to come and he has put all things under his feet and gave them and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So very, very important. Christ, Paul tells us in Ephesians, is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. Now, now so many times I see people, they just run their lip, lip on criticism to the church. Careful with that. Who's the head of the church? Christ is the head of the church. You know, if you started bad talking a, a particular organization, you're ultimately making a uh, claim to the owner. Everything rises and falls with leadership. So be mindful of your criticisms towards the church. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't help the church and we don't, you know, put bricks that are missing and, and help the church and, 
and, and serve the church, but be mindful of your attitudes towards the church. It's Christ's church. He's the head of the church. He's also, the church is also his bride. And I don't know about you, but I want to treat the bride of Christ well. Okay. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So two incredible images in 22 and 23. That Christ is the head of the church, but that the church is also his body. So Jesus can accurately say, inasmuch as you do it to the least of my brethren, you have done it to me. That your service to Christ's body is ultimately your service to Christ. So don't, don't, don't have this in your mind, this great distrust for the church. Right? I see that sometimes. I see that, unfortunately, sometimes we have an us and them mentality. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. The church is Christ's body. Love the church. Your love for the body of Christ is ultimately your, your love for Christ. How can you love God who you do not see if you cannot love your brother who you do see? It's one and the same. Chapter 2. I don't know if we're ever going to get done. <laughs> I'll go faster, I guess. Are you guys with me? Yes. Okay. Chapter 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Amen. And you he made alive though you were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, when we're talking with people, we're ministering to them and, and, and we realize that they are spiritually dead. You need to know that there's spiritual powers at work. That is, we're not just in this neutral battle, but you're literally dealing with, uh, you're dealing with people who are, are spiritually dead and that there's a spirit that now works in them according to disobedience. That doesn't alleviate them from any responsibility. You just, it, it, it just, it reminds you to put on the full armor of God. It reminds you that there's something usually behind the words and the attitudes and the ideas. And I, I used to argue or until I was blue in the face. And I've, I've, I have started to argue less and pray more. And I've seen way more effectiveness there. Among whom also we all once conducted former life. Past tense, ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Now, is Paul saying that he walks in the lust of the flesh now? No. Once, past tense, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. By God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Now, how are we alive? With Christ. We're, we're together with Christ. We're joined with Him. We're co-heirs with Him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Abide in me and I will abide in you. I and my Father will come and make our home in you. Now, people get on to me because I talk holiness. Well, I'm talking, I have a holy God inside of me, with me, joined together with me, living with me. That's, that's the basis of all of it. It's not that I did it. 
He came, he came into me. He, he made his home in me as he promised. And so Paul tells us in, in the Corinthians epistle, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. It's a synthesis. It is God and man coming together in union. This is the divine union. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he came to us. Verse five, verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This means unmerited favor. You did not deserve it. You did not earn it. But God lavished his mercy and grace and kindness towards us that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet far off, while we were yet dead in trespasses and sins, God had mercy towards us. It's nothing more than just the mercy and kindness of God. If you want to know what the gospel is, it's God's kindness and his mercy and his love towards us. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the age to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, we are not created by our good works. We were created for our good works. Very important distinction, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. Very important. Once. Once. You were once in the flesh. You were once an outsider in the flesh. You were once back then in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcision by which it is called that which is made flesh by that of hands. That at time you were out of Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, very important, but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Your nearness to God was through his riches of grace extended through the blood. We are Pentecostal people. We thank God for the blood. We are brought near by the blood. It is through the blood that we have forgiveness of sins. It is through the blood that we are saved. It's through that. We are made white and holy and acceptable by what Jesus has done. Not through our own works. Not through our one, through efforts. So Remember, holiness is not the way to salvation. It is the fruit and character of salvation. But there is power in the blood of Jesus to cleanse and transform and to make us new. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. This is speaking of Jew and Gentile. Having abolished it in his flesh and having the enmity that is the law and commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself a new man from the two, thus making peace. The Jew and the Gentile distinction, he has broken it down and created a new man in himself, the body of Christ. 
So in the body, Paul tells us in Galatians, there, there's, neither, there's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's, it's all one. This is what he's talking about. You have to remember in the culture, there was such separation. You can't eat with a Gentile. You can't eat with a Jew. You can't, you can't have fellowship. And so there was these social constructs that were inhibiting what God wanted to do. But he has made one in his body. I think that could solve the entire thing that's been plaguing our nation this last year. As people are so obsessed about it, they don't understand what we're talking about. This right here, this cyclical epistle from 2,000 years ago is applicable to solve the problem. That in Christ, there's one. And one. And that he might reconcile them both to God and one body through the cross, they're putting, putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. This is showing that we all have access to the Father in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now, therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Another description of who you are in Christ. A citizen. A citizen has certain rights. A citizen has certain positions. A citizen has certain authorities. You are not a stranger in heaven. You're not going to be a stranger in heaven. You're a citizen. With the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ. Himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone is important in construction. It would be laid in the corner and it would be completely square and completely plumb. That means the X and the Y are completely at a 90. And all other stones are stacked and based off that stone. Basically, the perfection of Christ... And his moral character is the basis for the entire building and the entire church. That all other stones, we are living stones, Peter says, stacked one upon another. But it's to be based off the cornerstone's dimension. That means we're all supposed to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, and talk like Jesus. All off that line. And so that if anybody's out of line, say, hey, get in line to the character of Christ. That's the standard for us. That's, what, that's where we're supposed to be living. That's the Christian ideal, is that we're living stones stacked one upon another, and Christ himself is the cornerstone. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we found out that we're citizens in this epistle. We found out that we're acceptable in the beloved, that we were destined for Christ. Before the foundation of the world that we have redemption and a guarantee of our inheritance. And now we find out that we are in a, the temple of the Lord. In whom we also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which has been given to me for you. How that by revelation... He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you have read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages were not made known to the sons of men, 
as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, which to me by the effective working of his power. Paul is saying right here that this is a great mystery. There's 11 mysteries in the New Testament. Find them, study them, cherish them. This is one of the mysteries that the Gentiles would be co-heirs. This was hidden from the apostles and the prophets, but is now being revealed. God was the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had his own special people. And that the, those, those people were to be a light unto the Gentiles. That was the purpose of the Jewish people. That they would be to a light of the Gentiles. Remember, the temple was orchestrated. You had the Holy of Holies. You had the outer courts. And then you had the what? The court of the Gentiles. Jesus comes on the scene and they're setting up. They're setting up money exchanges where? In the court of the Gentiles. And in the place where they're supposed to be teaching the Gentiles, they're now taking advantage of the Gentiles. And this was God's plan all along, that His law would cover the earth, that His glory would cover the earth, that all people would know the glory of the God of Israel. And Jesus comes on the scene, and He begins to overthrow the temple. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And so what Paul is saying here is that he, Christ, has done this. This is a, the revelation of a new mystery that the Jew and the Gentile would be co-heirs. This was hidden from their eyes, but is now revealed to the church. And it was a mystery. He also says that he became a minister by the gift of God. To him, the effective working of his power. Now, some of you might be gifted ministers in the body of Christ. You might have an anointing. You might have a gifting to preach. Always remember where it came from. It came from him. He gave you that gift to be an effective minister to him. As the Puritan said, let me be a divine instrument in your hand. But it's his effective working and power. So that keeps us from pride. That keeps us in a place of dependency and humility. To me who am least than all of the saints, this grace was given that I should what? That I should preach, that I should publicly herald among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now remember, when you're preaching, it's not just the bad news. It's not just sin and repentance, although that is indispensable to your proclamation. It is all the, also the richness of of Christ Jesus. It's good news. And it's bad news. You've got to have both. Two sides of the same coin. Damnation. Salvation. It's two sides of the same coin. But the richness of Christ Jesus. The unsearchable riches. That means you're never going to get to the bottom of it. You're never going to get to the bottom of the riches that are in Christ Jesus. To make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That means that it wasn't just a testimony to men. That the gospel doesn't just affect the realm of men, but it also affects the other realm. It also speaks to the heavenly places. It also speaks to principalities and powers that we know very little about. But yet the Bible explains that exists. 
The Bible calls the Lord the Lord of hosts. And there's a whole innumerable host before the throne of God. And this testimony of what Christ did also applies to them. According to the eternal purpose which he has accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. In him we have boldness. What do we have in him? Boldness. We are to be a bold people. Access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for which for you, for which is your glory. Paul saying, I'm OK. Although he's being persecuted, although his name's in the paper, although its name is mud, although people are mad at him and are, and are mocking him, although people are doing all kinds of men are evil against him, that there's people who take uh, covenants and they shave their heads and pledges and say, I'm not going to eat until I kill Paul. How would you like to write that in your newsletter? There's a group of people. I'm praying for them. <laughs> but he says, I'm okay. I have confidence. I have boldness, even in my tribulations, for they're on behalf of you. For this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that you would grant you according to the riches, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be, this is so, so important, that he would strengthen with might his spirit in the inner man, that he would grant according to the riches of his glory a that you would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That in the spirit, when we pray in the spirit, we are strengthening our inner man. We, he who prays in an unknown tongue, his spirit prays not on the men, but on the God. Jude tells us that we build our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. We are literally strengthening our inner man. If you don't know how you pray, you just pray. You pray the Spirit. You intercede for people. You just pour your heart out to God. And God will strengthen you on the inside according to the riches of His glory. Now, so important. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you be rooted and grounded in love. What's the evidence of Christ dwelling in your heart? Being rooted in love. And grounded in love. Now why is it important to be rooted? Because the winds are going to come. The Bible says don't be to be blown around by every wind of doctrine. Don't be deceived by everything that comes your way. Be, be rooted and grounded in love. And knowing that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. Once again, Paul puts the source of his intimacy and power on the divine union. Christ in us. He banks everything off this fact. Think about it. Did he have big buildings? Did he have big financial campaigns? Did he even have a house? We don't even know if he had a donkey or transportation. They estimate that he walked everywhere. Yet he changed every city he went to. Not with an external kingdom. Everything was an internal kingdom. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The problem with America is we have too much on the outside. But we're impoverished on the inside. <clears throat> Maybe we should do some building campaigns for the inside. Mm -hmm. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That applies to us right now. That there would be glory in the church of Christ Jesus to all generations. See how this is not just a cyclical epistle? See how this is just applicable to us today? That it was, although it was written... 2,000 years ago, it is just for us this morning. Yeah. Chapter 4. I therefore, the, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which with you are called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with patience, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Therefore, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. This speaks to the unity of the faith, that there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one spirit. We need to lay aside our denominational preferences and understand that there's only one faith. There's only one Lord. There's only one spirit. There's only one baptism. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Such an important Old Testament verse. He led captivity captive. He caught them in their own game. Remember, the Bible tells us that he made a public spectacle of all principalities and powers and dominions of darkness. He made them look childish and foolish. Simply, he won. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Many people were asking about Peter the other day. Here's your answer. He who descended is above all. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and some teachers. Very important to say some for the equipping, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry that were their equipping. Is Catharism. It's so incredible that from the very beginning, Jesus, the rabbi, knew what his plan was. He sees James and John by the side of the Lake of Galilee, and what are they doing? Mending their nets. The word, Catharism. They're mending their nets. He's like, oh, they're mending. I need menders. He calls them. And then what is it? He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the mending, the equipping, the building up, making set right the body of Christ. From the shores of Galilee to the epistle of the Ephesians, it's still the same. Till when? This gives us the job description, the mending in the ministry. Building people up, setting them right, discipling them into the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Now you might understand why we constantly say, does that make sense? <laughs> because we want you to come to the unity of the faith. 
We want you to come to the knowledge of the Son of God. To a what? To a what? What's the next word? To a perfect man. The purpose of the pastorate, the apostles, the evangelists, the prophets, the teachers, is till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, till we all become a perfect man. So when you see people, like, oh, I'm not perfect. I'm just like, keep working. We're all going to keep working. We're going to keep mending. We're going to keep building up. We're going to keep learning about Jesus and talking about Jesus and coming to the knowledge of Him. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Remember, we're rooted and grounded in love. We're not tossed to and fro by the trickery of men and the cunning deceitfulness and craftiness of plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself. And once again, in love. That means if, we're, if I am joined to Christ, I am joined to you. If I, am you. if I am one with Christ, I am one with you. If you're one with Christ and I'm one with Christ, then we are one and the same. And I want to help you and you want to help me. And that my, my giftings will be for you. And the grace that was extended to me, I want to extend to you. And that's what Paul is talking about. We're knit together for the edifying of each other in love. This I say, therefore, and testifying the Lord that she should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk and the futility of their mind. That means you live differently. You don't live like you used to live. You don't think like you used to think. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. Who being who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to all works of uncleanness and greediness. But you who have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct. So how are we to behave? We're to put it off. All that old way, that old man, that old thought, that old carnality is put off. It, it, it's, it's old. It grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. But we are renewed in the spirit of our mind. And that, that we have put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and true holiness. He that is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Forgetting in the things that were past, the former things, those, that old mindset, that old way of thought. We live with the mind of Christ and the newness of him. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. The, de the devil is always looking for an opportunity. He's always looking for a chink in the armor. It's best to just walk in the light, live in love, be rooted and grounded in Him. And you do not have to worry about His devices. The Bible says we're not unaware of His devices. But if you're giving place and opportunity, stand, stand guard. 
Let, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good is necessary for building up edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Words are so important. We, we, we build one another up or tear one another down by our words. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you have were sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ Jesus forgave you. What's the basis of our forgiveness for one another? Christ's forgiveness for us. Remember, he who loves much, Forgives much. How many times? Seven times? Seventy times. Seven. We could say that our gospel is forgiveness. Simple as that. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Wait, have, have we gotten to any part in this entire epistle where we're, we're, we're described as carnal Christians? Or... or or it is describing uh, Christians not walking in victory or not walking in love or not walking in hope. It seems like the entire epistle is dedicated for us walking and trusting in him and that he is in us and that we're living in love and that we're rooted and grounded and we're citizens and we're part of the temple of God and that we have that every spiritual blessing is in Christ. That seems to be the heart of the epistle here. It tells us simply be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for both a sweet smelling aroma. Pause right there. Many people, unfortunately, this weekend are going to talk about God and what Jesus did on the cross in an unfortunate way. They're going to talk about how that, 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 that what Jesus did, God was upset with on the cross, that God was mad at Jesus. It says right here that what Jesus did on the cross was what? A sweet smelling aroma. That means that God was pleased at the sacrifice of the son. So don't be, don't be uh, confused by that. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. This not fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. That means you know when something is inappropriate or not in the right time. It, it, it speaks of the sequence. You know when things are out of line or inappropriate. Let not that be among you. For this, you know that no fornicator or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Who talks like this? Seems to me like this man's heart's filled with love. Now, isn't it interesting that the world says that's not love? But yet, when you read the Bible, this is actually a heart filled with love. This is actually someone whose mind is the mind of Christ and who has the truth of the gospel on their lips because it... When you understand the severity of what's really going on, that there's righteousness and then there's unrighteousness, there's truth and then there's lies and there's people who are dead. And it says that the God of this age has blinded their eyes and they're under the power of the spirit of disobedience and it's working within them. It's okay to talk 
in love. Let, let no one deceive you because of empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Therefore, he says, awake, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See that you walk circumspectly. That means in wisdom, cautiously, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is a dispensation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak. Now, now I love this. It says be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it gives a description of. Of what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms. In hymns. And spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So many people. Are looking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're looking for like a straight up full on prayer language. Right from the beginning. They should try to make melody to the heart in the Lord. Start there. Start singing a melody to the Lord, a new song, a spiritual song, as Paul says, to the Lord, and just see what God does and overflows their heart in love and worship. Start there with, with your friends. You know, and so many times people feel uh, disheartened, right? But they can sing a spiritual song to the Lord. They can make melody in their heart to the Lord. Start there. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be what? Holy, Holy and blameless. The Christ is coming back for a church that is holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. Once again, another mystery. 
could call the Ephesians the epistle of mystery because it gives out two. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Very simply, husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. The greatest need for a man is to be respected. The greatest need for a woman is to be loved. It's like God knew what he was doing when he was writing this epistle. So my advice to you, young people in the room, if you're going to be married, husbands, love your wives. Women, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as man pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master in heaven, that there is no partiality with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in heavenly places. This means that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that there are powers behind people's words and attitudes, that there are things that are hindering people coming into the kingdom. And you need to put on the full armor of God. You need to have the mind of salvation. You need to have the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of truth, the sword of the spirit. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to do withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You notice when we get into this, all the armor of God, there's nothing covering your back. There's no, there's no time the Christian retreats. It says... Having done all to stand, at least stand. We can always stand in the faith. We can always stand in the confidence that we are acceptable in the beloved. Whether we're being assaulted all around us, we can still stand. Stand therefore, having girded the waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that your feet are prepared for the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, which is able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, most people in the armor of God right there. I like to continue to the next verse. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Praying in the spirit is part of the armor of God. Being watchful to this end with all prayer perseverance and supplications for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me 
that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel. Every ambassador of Christ in this room, that should be a daily thought. That utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am ambassador. Why was he an ambassador? He tells you the purpose of him being an ambassador, that he might boldly open his mouth to make known the mysteries of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in chains that in I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all and those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Paul's letter to the Ephesians church. Lord, we understand that we are acceptable in you. That you have a great plan and purpose for our lives. And Lord, you have seated us in heavenly places and that everything that we need is in you. That we're acceptable in you. That we have an inheritance. That we've been redeemed by your blood. That we're co-heirs and joined together with you. That we're all one, irregardless of our backgrounds. That if we're in you, we're all one in you. And that we have that unity of the faith, knowing that it was one spirit that has brought us together and made us all one. Lord, you have helped us understand the riches of the glory that is in you. Lord, we understand that you have brought forgiveness through your blood and redemption for us. Help us, Lord, now with this understanding, fight the good fight of faith in the armor of God. With boldness, speaking as we ought to speak, speaking the truth in love, forgetting that former life that was behind us, we look forward with hope and expectation till we all come to the unity of the faith and the understanding of who you are. Amen. So this morning,